This is the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellata from singleinthecity.ca, Toronto's news. Today's talk, 640 Toronto. Welcome to the Dating and Relationship Show, where we explore the ups and downs of modern dating and relationships. I'm your host, Joan Kelly Walker, taking over today from Laura Bellata to bring you some great tips and things you need to know for more fulfilling relationships. And who can't benefit from that? I'm thrilled to be joined by two amazing guests and full disclosure friends, Brian Coons and Gary LeBlanc are both here. Brian is a mindfulness coach, a professional speaker, and the CEO and founder of Rewire. His purpose is deeply rooted in helping business professionals like yourselves manage stress, cultivate self-awareness, enhance health and happiness, build resilience, and achieve personal growth. So welcome, Brian. Thank you so much, Joan. It's great to be here. Gary LeBlanc is the CEO of Zero DB. He's a life engineer, a certified coach, a personal trainer, and the published author of Find Your Superhuman. He's helped countless people and organizations foster deeper connections and begin their journey to quiet the noise. Hey, Gary. Hey, John. How are you? I'm great. So thank you guys for being here. Very excited about today's episode. We'll be centering around managing stress and cultivating happiness. And we'll be exploring how these things intersect with your relationships. We'll discover how you can embark on this journey of growth together with your partner and learn practical strategies to maximize mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual energy. We'll be delving into the fascinating world of emotional fitness, breath work, meditation, mindfulness, and the power of morning routines and habit development. So if you're listening and you're ready to transform your approach to relationships and unlock the keys to a fulfilling love life, you're in the right place. Let's dive in. So guys, okay, where do we start? Can we just start, Brian, with your own personal journey? So, so where did you start? What made you so interested in all this? And what have you learned that other people can benefit from? Well, I, for me, this was really something that happened to me um, about a decade and a half ago. And it was something catastrophic that happened in my life that was basically an awakening for me. Uh, I'd felt sort of a sense of disconnection, zero emotional intelligence. I was feeling anxious and depressed. I, was, I got to a point in my life where I created a character of who I thought I wanted to be. I was feeling really unfulfilled and uncentered and needing external uh, validation, in my case, uh, substances. And uh, for me, unfortunately, it was a catastrophic event uh, that led me on this path of starting to do the work. And I went uh, to the Mindfulness Center and working under Dr. Stefan Travol for, for well over a decade, really started to dig into the in, inner, my inner world and learn a lot more about that and what was creating these different patterns and habits and things that were not serving me. Hmm. So Brian, just while we have you, how can managing stress levels contribute to a more fulfilling and meaningful relationships? Well, with this, the first relationship is with yourself. And so being able to be at peace and being at center and really being able to notice what your triggers are. And stress is not necessarily something out there. We like to point uh, in a relationship at the other person or something, but 
it's really an internal game. It's an inside job. So managing our own stress, it gives us the ability to connect more deeply with ourselves and then have more compassion and love for ourselves, which translates into much better relationships with everyone, including your partner. Mm-hmm. I love that. It's an inside job. So Gary, do you agree? It's an inside job? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, we carry these things obviously from childhood and, you know, it depends on the traumas, but everybody's been through something. So until you really walk into it, try to mask it and think that it's not going to creep up like weeds in a driveway is kind of, it's kind of being a little naive. And it's, it's something that we, we can't judge ourselves for, but we definitely have to realize that until we do spend and where these feelings are coming from will really mislabel everything that happens. So I totally agree with Brian. It has to start with the inward journey first. Right. So, you know, a lot of people, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners and myself included, like people change throughout the day, throughout their life. So a lot of people find it hard sometimes to make changes or find self-love in their lives. So can you just talk a little bit about, you know, those obstacles that people face and what are your top recommendations to implement a plan for being your best self as an individual and in your relationships? So Brian, what do you think? Well, I think it's really about doing the work. And I always say that, you know, self-care is the practice, uh, but self-love is the feeling. And so it really comes down to uh, implementing new habits. And it's you're right, it's very difficult to change. We become patternized at a certain point in our lives. So we have to really look carefully at why we want to make a change. And that often that why is our anchor to to do the work. And then inserting practices of self-care into your life throughout your day, protecting time every day to do those practices. And when you do those practices day over day, sometimes, you know, you don't feel like you're getting too far, but over time that consistency creates a certain momentum and then things start to shift and it creates greater awareness and it compounds and then it creates a motivation or even an inspiration to continue digging deeper. Right. So Gary, uh, how do people break their patterns that they found themselves in? Well, I think Brian touched on a key word and it's awareness, right? Oftentimes we're on autopilot, you know, this is a common trope, but we don't really notice the things that we don't notice, right? So it's really about how do we create at first, how do we create these cues to just start to be aware of even certain times of day or when we do certain activities. And these cues are going to force us to just be at peace with ourselves and just try to observe where we're at. And then eventually, you know, as Brian mentioned the practice, you know, I like to call them nudges. Eventually, we're going to notice when we feel these, you know, when we sense things, emotions arise and we respond. When we start to notice the arising of emotions, that's when we have the opportunity to make a change. So for me, it's really about noticing when I start to behave a certain way that's not in line with who I want to be. That's where it all starts for me. Right. So 
So I want to talk about, you know, in the context of dating, how can individuals use mindfulness techniques to cope with the anxieties of new relationships? And also as partners, how do we support each other in cultivating self-awareness and dealing with daily stressors of being in a relationship? Uh, Brian, your comment? Yeah, well, mindfulness and awareness, we, we could just say that they're the same thing. Um, so it's, it's important to, to realize that mindfulness is there. But, but as Gary said, uh, it is really about noticing more things and creating a little bit of space from what we typically, how we typically react to certain triggers. And so as I, we talked about it right from the beginning with stress being an inside job and all those triggers are an inside out process, noticing the behaviors and the things that are creating tension in your body the things that are creating emotions to arise in contrast with your partner is very important. Um, it's really hard to change somebody else, but you can be the example for that person by creating enough space so that you're responding skillfully uh, if to their triggers um, and versus reacting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, Gary, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I love the word space. It really is about space. Like if we meet each other, you know, head to head, um, that really doesn't leave any room for compromise. It doesn't really leave any room for compassion. You know, when we meet head to head, it's pure judgment. So I love Brian bringing up space. It truly is about curating that space. All right. Okay. Well, you know what? We're going to have to take a break, but when we return, we'll explore the importance of emotional fitness and how it can benefit your relationships. So stay tuned. You're listening to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellata from singleinthecity.ca, Toronto's news. Today's talk, 640 Toronto. Welcome back to the Dating and Relationship Show on AM640. I'm your host, Joan Kelly Walker, and we're continuing our conversation with Brian Coons and Gary LeBlanc about emotional fitness and its profound impact on relationships and your personal well-being. So let's dive right back in. Now, I know the two of you do a weekly jam on a variety of health topics like mind, body, spirit. So, I mean, when you're talking about emotional fitness, I'm sure this is something that would benefit anyone so why do you guys do that weekly jam what do you talk about and should people start doing this type of thing with their own friends so what is emotional fitness gary yeah so brian often mentions this emotional fitness and really what brian and i talk about it revolves around all those things we typically aren't able to express to many people and it really is about digging into all those feelings that have come up through the week, things we're pondering, um, trying to find a place of compassion, not only self-compassion, but I have a lot of compassion for Brian. He has a lot of compassion for me. So by fostering compassion for each other, it allows us to really, really kind of build that muscle of self-compassion. And, and that's where Brian and I, I like to believe, kind of uh, engage in that emotional fitness once a week. So, uh, Brian, do you recommend that that's one of the ways that people can work on their own emotions is to like get a group of friends together and just talk about things, people that you know, people that you trust? Is that what that means? 
Absolutely. Now, the the idea of people connecting together, creating a community of people, uh, regardless of the size of the group, because it could be two people uh, who can connect together in a safe place, uh, it's a very, very powerful factor, uh, not only in emotional fitness, but in happiness in general. But to expand on emotional fitness a little more, it's also that ability to have to create resilience uh, when things eventually do happen. There's always going to be triggers in our life. So there are ways we can uh, create greater fitness through communication with others and also through practices so that our nervous system, uh, when we're triggered, uh, we're able to self-regulate much more quickly. It's, it's not about staying on the path. It's when we fall off the path, how quickly do we notice with awareness and how quickly can we return back to center, back to that place where we have that space to respond skillfully. Brian, can you expand on some of those practices? Sure. Like what specifically uh, are you suggesting? Yeah, well, one of the practices that leaps to mind and, and it's, you know, it's become a lot more popular recently is uh, deliberate cold exposure. What happens is when you go into the cold, uh, let's just say you're having a shower. Uh, if you change the shower to cold at the end, you're your body goes into a stress mode. It goes into fight or flight. You're triggering the nervous system into the same reaction that you would get in an argument or whatever the trigger may be for you. But you're overcoming that every day with the breath. This creates a resilience. So you're able to self-regulate the nervous system much more quickly. And at the end of the day, we, we talk about a lot of different practices for the mind and the body, but the nervous system is one of those things that it's almost like an electrical system. Uh, and many of us have little different triggers and shorts throughout our lives so practicing things like that with breath work as well a wonderful way to create a controlled stress response that we can overcome with the mind so we are able to overcome overcome day in day out and then we have that extra resilience that readiness to be prepared whenever a stressor occurs and so like if you do all of those things and you manage to implement them into your life and create a habit, how can building emotional resilience positively influence the way that we handle challenges that we have in life? Like when you're dating or in your relationship or if you have a setback in your relationship, how does that work, Brian? Well, this kind of goes back to what Gary said with compassion. If we can't feel compassion within, if we can't self-regulate very quickly because we're in the red zone, we're in fight or flight, and whatever that emotion may be for you, it's bubbling up. That's what you're going to be projecting into your relationship and to everyone you connect with. So having that space to overcome that initial response and bring that back to center, we can then feel that compassion and empathy for ourselves and for whoever we're connecting with. And then we have that space to really feel what they're feeling and understand that they're just feeling that way. And it's not because they're a bad person or because of any other reason other than the fact it's just their nervous system. It's just the human condition. So Gary, same question to you. Uh, you know, if somebody's thinking, okay, I'm, I'm doing all this stuff. I don't like the cold. I, you know, this is a big change for me. They might be thinking, why bother? So how can taking the time to do all this stuff build emotional resilience to positively influence that we can handle challenges that we have in life or in our dating or in relationships? Well, I think there's a lot of angles we can tackle this, Joan, you know, in positive habits, if you look at well-being and emotional fitness, you know, the mind-body is all connected, right? So you can approach things from a nutritional perspective. You can approach things from a fitness perspective. So all of these 
things are dependent on each other. You know, you can even focus on sleep. So what I like to do is I like to kind of meet people where they are. So if somebody, you know, has a certain affinity for trying new things nutritionally, or if they're open to fitness, what I like to do is I like to open those multiple modalities up and just focus on little nudges because really what we want to do is we want to build a snowball effect of momentum, right? It's almost like a meta meditation where you start with the easy things and you move to harder and harder. So that's where I like to focus on. And typically something like just playing with people's eating windows would start to build up a certain amount of, you know, a certain amount of satisfaction behind being able to do something towards their well-being. And then eventually all these positive habits in the physical realm, those are going to actually improve the mental realm and you'll start to see things more clearly. You'll, you'll start to have a proper chemical balance which will then allow you to make better decisions. Yeah, totally agree. I know myself, sometimes I feel like, oh, well, I blew it. So forget it, you know, and then those little setbacks, like you just really step way back, but you don't have to, like if you had a bad eating day or something, you just have to start again tomorrow, right? So you mentioned missteps. Oftentimes these missteps are because our routine has been shaped around these new habits. So what I like to do is I like to audit my motivation. As long as my motivation is on point, then I can peel back those missteps and see where the friction in implementing these things are coming from. And that would be my focus on going. But I allow my motivation to be the guide that I'm on the right path. Okay, amazing. And Brian, do you have any other practical exercises or techniques for couples to enhance their emotional fitness and create a stronger bond? I would just say that it really starts with the individual. And I really think that everyone needs to do their own work to get their own house in order, their own shop in order. And to really, um, it's really about some type of practice. And as Gary alluded to, everybody's different. Everyone's in a different place. Uh, I love a morning routine because there's an opportunity every single day just to take a little bit of space before all the madness of the day starts to reflect, to read, to do something, to just spend a little time with your own thoughts and feelings and really start to understand yourself a little bit more. Meditation at the end of the day is just to become familiar with yourself. And that guidance and that feeling you can take into your relationship and into your day going forward. Um, and then you can start to notice what patterns that you're creating based on the contrast of the relationship. Amazing. Okay, so we're gonna have to stop right now to take another short break. And when we return, we'll be continuing with author, CEO of Zero DB, life engineer, certified coach, Gary LeBlanc. But right now we have to say goodbye to Brian Coons, who's a mindfulness coach. Uh, he manages, helps manage stress. He's cultivates self-awareness and uh, enhances personal growth through all of his work. So Brian, where can people find you? Thanks, Joan. You can reach me at uh, briancoons.com or on social media at briancoons. Okay, lots more to come, so stay tuned. Welcome back to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca. Toronto's News, today's talk, 640 Toronto. 
So welcome back. You're listening to the Dating and Relationship Show. I'm Joan Kelly Walker, and I'm here tonight with Gary LeBlanc, who's the CEO of Zero DB. He's a life engineer, a certified coach, and an author, and a friend of mine. We'll be discussing the intriguing concept of deliberate cold exposure and its impact on personal growth and relationships, and all kinds of other topics on how to enhance your dating life and your relationships. So let's continue on this really interesting exploration. So Gary, I know you practice cold exposure and it seems to be all the rage right now. How does deliberate cold exposure impact mental clarity and emotional stability? Can you walk me through that? Well, you're right, Joan. You know, cold exposure is really having a day right now. And, you know, there's a lot of physiological effects of cold exposure. But when we talk about its impact on our mental game, I really do believe that it gets down to what we're conquering. It's a really easy way, relatively easy way, even if you don't enjoy the cold, to really get over an obstacle. So it's kind of one of these things where you can literally time, okay, you know what, I got in for 20 seconds and next time I'll do 30. And each time it's this dopamine hit of validating that you can overcome these obstacles. And I truly do believe that that bleeds into the rest of your life, whatever vertical it is. So obviously with relationships, there might be some things holding you back, but it might give you that little push to lean in. Hmm. So can we dive a little deeper right into that point? So how did those benefits enhance your relationships like, and your personal well-being? Like they're so interconnected. Yeah, so when we look at you know, again, getting back to the obstacle is the way, right? When we get into little wins, what I believe it does, it allows us to, again, when we peel it back, it gets to self-compassion in space. I think it, it breaks us out of that kind of monkey mind where we're always just reacting. You know, we have our system one and our system two mind. Our system one mind is that reactive mind, and we spend so much time just reacting in life. And cold exposure literally snaps that. So it's a behavior, it's a routine that literally snaps that ongoing kind of behavioral pattern that often sabotages our relationships. So really, you can look at it that way. You can look at it as, okay, this is a hard stop. This is going to remind me to take a step back, have some compassion for myself, compassion for my partner. What am I witnessing? Where does my head go when I come out of that in a more peaceful place? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, it's also about achieving, like for me anyway, it's about achieving small goals. Like, okay, my goal, I was doing 30 seconds. Now I did a minute and I feel like, okay, I did something like I'm moving in the right direction. And when you achieve a goal, no matter how small you feel good. And I think if you're feeling good about yourself, it leads to a bit more patience. Would you agree with that? 100%. You know, it really is about momentum. You know, we need momentum. We need that validation to just give us that dopamine hit. Just to, you know, dopamine is not necessarily a feel-good chemical. It's a craving chemical, right? So we get dopamine from all these other places like social media, our phones, 
So this is actually a positive, a positive dopamine hit that just reminds us that we can overcome these things. We can make these little things work in our favor. We can have these little wins. So I love your perspective on that. Hmm. So what are, you know, we're talking about the positive things, like what other positive things can we do to get that dopamine hit? Like people turn to social media all the time. Everybody's constantly scrolling on their phone and it's, it's not a positive thing. So what, like what positive things can we turn to? You know, it's funny. I kind of nerd out on this, as you know, um, I have a daily task list and it's literally about 25 to 30 tasks long and I don't read it every day. However, you know, in nutrition, sleep, stress, um, and fitness, I have all these little nudges that I perform every day. So it could be as easy as in the morning, um, doing 10 minutes of meditation, um, followed by an organic coffee, followed by 10 push-ups. There's so many of these little nudges where you don't eat until 10.30 a.m. and you finish eating at 6.30 p.m. It could be when you have your last drink of water, make, make sure that's three hours before bed. You know, there's so many little things you can do that will, again, chemically and physiologically make you feel better, but they're also wins. They're also mental wins. So, you know, there really is a treasure trove of little things you can implement. And I think it's just the motivation we need and making sure those nudges aren't so big that they're achievable. So can we talk a little bit more about this list? Like you mentioned something about reading it daily. So do you try and work your way through all 25 items a day? Like some people I'm sure that are listening are thinking like, that's ridiculous. He is really nerding out on this and that's too much for me. So like, is it possible to just make your list the way that it's personalized for you maybe have a list of 25 but only focus on like you know two or three a day does that work 100 percent. like look this is you know me this is what i do this years and years in the building so when i say nudges that's exactly what i mean i mean one two three little things that aren't a massive stretch you know, that 25, 30 task list that I have, this is just something that I use to audit my process. I don't have to read them because I've been doing them for years and years. So really, it is about exactly what you said. It's about find those two or three things you can start implementing. Then once those become habit, and again, that might take you three weeks, it might take you 10 weeks. Once those become a habit, then you don't have to worry about those anymore. Then those are built in then you can tackle one to three more. So it really is about your capacity for change. Mm -hmm. And I understand that people are always on their own individual journey, but you know, when people are in a couple, how do they do those things together to support each other through their journey? Like my husband does things his way. I do things my way. Sometimes he drives me crazy. I'm sure I drive him crazy, but how, like, how can you best support each other to do those things? If your lists don't quite line up. You know, that's a great point, Joan, because you know my wife. And one of the funny things about us is our circadian rhythm is out of sync by about an hour and a half to two hours every day. And you realize you kind of win the morning by winning the evening. So having that big gap makes it a challenge for us. So 
you know, instead of me being, and you know me again, instead of me being prescriptive and imposing these things on Casey, it's it's kind of a matter of, you know, through osmosis, some of these habits are going to rub off. And it's not that I need them to rub off. It's that there's a potential for it. And we both understand we are going to have our old routines and we have to work within that. But you know what? As time goes by, when you love each other and when you have compassion for each other, you are going to converge in a lot of these areas. And you don't have to be, the Venn diagrams don't have to completely overlap. We can still have our own individuality, but those fundamental things will start to converge. And I think it'll just make things a a little bit easier over time without the stress of having to change. Hmm. So maybe a little bit of a personal question. So what if your wife was to say to you, I really want you to do X, whatever it is. And you're thinking, I really don't want to do that. How much effort do you need to put in to these things? Or would you advise someone to just say, you know what? No, let's find something else. You know what? I have very few sacred cows. Now, again, when it relates to my health, you know, I try to swim in my lane and I spend a dis- I spend a disproportionate amount of time talking about these things. So Casey understands that I would be the expert in this area. You know, I know that Casey would be an expert in other areas. And I have very few sacred cows in the lands. So you know what? It really is about, again, the compromise that's fed by compassion and really leaving space and openness to new possibilities. I think that's the mindset we have to have. Yeah, I agree. So you know what? It is time for us to take one last quick break. And when we return, we'll be discussing morning routines and habit development with Gary LeBlanc. So stay tuned. We'll be exploring the importance of morning routines and habit development. So let's delve into how these habits can positively transform your life. So Gary, let's shift gears and talk about developing a consistent morning routine to positively affect our mental, physical, and emotional energy levels. How can doing that positively affect our life in that way? Well... You know, the morning is everything, but the morning starts in the evening. So really, you know, we've all experienced this when you don't get enough sleep, when your blood sugar is low. These things directly affect how you show up in life. So what I like to do is I like to say, okay, I have anchors. So I have these pillars that I have to follow. And one is sleep. 
So I don't set an alarm. I know not everybody can. If you have to set an alarm, then you got to back that up and give yourself at least eight to eight and a half hours in bed so you get a good sleep. So that's the beginning of everything. And then in the morning, you got to kind of look at things as, okay, what's going to give my mind time to work into the day? Because as soon as we wake up, we're going to have that cortisol spike. So what we want to do is we want to kind of work with our rhythm, right? You're going to have that cortisol spike in the morning, so you want to calm the mind down, right? You become alert. Get that morning sun. That morning sun will really anchor, you know, your circadian rhythm again. It'll just anchor your sleeping pattern and your waking pattern. Once you get that going, you want to get the blood flowing, you know, do some movement. It could be yoga. You want to get some mindfulness in there again. So the racing mind doesn't get away from you because once you start the day on the wrong foot, I feel it's just a snowball. So, you know, there's the mindfulness in the morning. There's the moving in the morning. I tend not to eat until 1030. I want to give my body a, a little break from the previous day. So I like to get 16 hours of fasting every day. And all of that, both mentally because of my success in doing that every day and physiologically creates a wonderful atmosphere for me to then engage um, my wife in the morning and for us to start the day off on a good, uh, on a good foot. Right. So totally all of that makes sense to me. And I totally agree with everything uh, you mentioned. You know, if you start your day off on the wrong foot, it can just turn into like a snowball effect. So, you know, it's so easy these days to get pulled in a million directions and you have your plan for the day and then you end up doing a whole bunch of other things. And, and it's frustrating. How do we correct the snowball? Well, we have to have periods that are, again, I mentioned sacred cows before, but we need periods where we have to have full control over what pulls us in. So we have to completely eliminate distractions. I don't engage with the outside world. I don't allow the outside world to pull me in until about 9 a.m. So I get up at 6.30 until 9 a.m. That is what I'm controlling. That's what I'm defining. And I feel that's enough time to create enough momentum to then be able to handle the more difficult things. Again, when you approach things and your mind isn't centered, you're going to automatically go into that system one brain. So you're going to automatically react to really be able to listen, really be more curious, less judgmental. So I think it is about carving that time of, away in the morning. Mm -hmm. So, you know, but then you add in like kids and pets and, you know, sometimes that time does get interrupted. Uh, so if people are in a relationship, how can couples collaborate together and be creative to create morning routines that can protect and nourish both partners, individual growth and connection? Like, how do you tag team it so that those other things like kids or phone calls or pets or, you know, whatever it is that's distracting you, how do you support each other through that? Yeah, that's a great question. We've been working on that ourselves. And all it gets down to is you have to notice where those almost points of, almost those pressure points, right? Each person has a different set of pressure points that'll, um, that'll be either easier or harder to deal with. So what we like to work on is we like to understand each other's pressure points. And there's some things that I'm going to be more adept at. So I'll take those on. Um, she'll be, you know, 
better at handling other items and you have to be really prescriptive about it and you have to try to find some sort of ingrained routine i know it sounds more sexy to kind of approach things willy-nilly you know we can leave things to chance be more spontaneous but we really need to when possible really anchor what we can because as you mentioned joan kids pets everything's going to pull us in so as much as possible, it's kind of like that screen doors, those old screen doors that had the spring. When nothing is pulling us, we gotta we got to revert back to that default. And until we have that default, that kind of system that we put in place, we're just going to let things happen randomly. So again, things might change, but let's try to get that kind of prescribed plan in place together. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that I want to talk to you about is something that I absolutely love that I do all the time. If I can't sleep, I think about all the things that I'm grateful for. So I think there's a lot of power in gratitude practices and mindfulness around that. And people might be thinking like, what the heck is that? So can you explain what it, what are gratitude practices and how do you practice the mindfulness around that you know i approach gratitude um, a little uniquely very similar to the stoics Um, i perform negative visualization so i create a circumstance where i actually feel grateful for this practice so the practice is every morning i'll wake up and i'll actually write about some potentially innocuous thing in my life. It could be the fact that my wife um, did something pleasant the day before. And I'll write about, you know, what if, you know, what if Casey didn't do this, you know, and I'll journal about all of those things that I I benefit from, all those beautiful things she does. And it kind of leaves an affect of being grateful for that, but focusing on What if you didn't have that? And you could do that for a lot of things in your life. You could do it for one of your kids. You could do it for a pet. So every morning, focus on those little things that actually leave that kind of, um, it's almost like that, that sunset where you get that green glow. It's what you're left with when you think of your life without these little things. I think it's a beautiful gratitude practice. Oh, and you're left with such a beautiful journal of your memories, too. So that's a wonderful point that we're going to have to leave it today. So thank you, everyone, for tuning into the Dating and Relationship Show. We hope today's discussion on managing stress, cultivating happiness, and nurturing strong relationships has been enlightening. It certainly has been for me. Remember, taking care of yourself and your partner is key to building meaningful connections. Let's keep the conversation going after the show today you can find me at joan kelly walker official and at the dating and relationship show don't forget to connect with our fantastic guest brian at brian coons on instagram who was here earlier and gary where can we find you um you can contact me at gary at drink zero db.com or my website gary james leblanc.com or instagram at gary james leblanc Okay, we will find you. So make sure you join us again next week for more insights and advice on all things dating and relationships. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.
What's your emergency? Ah! I'm on a cruise ship! Ah! There was an explosion! Oh my god, the ship is sinking! I can't get out! There's water everywhere! We're going down! I've got a lock on your location. Stay with me. Hurry! Hello? Are you there? Help is on the way. Angela Bassett and Peter Krause return in an all-new season of 911 on a new night. Thursday, March 14th on Global. Stream on Stack TV.